on this episode of AV Week, we discuss if AV gear can be a carrier for hacker codes, procreating millennials to crawl back to cable, visual touch, HDR commonplace in three years, these stories and more on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Ready. AV. AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, episode 218, Procreating Placebo, recorded October 23rd, 2015. Uh, Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of AV Week. I am your host, George Tucker, on this lovely October day, at least here on the East Coast it is. I want to welcome you to AV Week, your source for news and information in the pro-AV world. We've got a host of stories to talk about today, some deep, some silly, uh, but to help me get through these are some very fine people. I feel almost uh, almost ashamed to be the one having to ask them the questions, but they are, of course, Duffy Wilbert. Welcome back, sir. He is an industry veteran. If you don't know him, look him up. How are you, sir? Good. Great to see you, George. All right. Also, we have Mitchell Klein. He is from Z-Wave. How are you, sir? I'm doing fabulous and happy to be here as always, George. Yeah, good to see you again. Good to be seen. All right, and joining us also is Kyle Davis. He is from Harmon Professional. Good to see you again, sir, as well. Good to be here. All right, and for our monthly publisher's perspectives, it is Tom LeBlanc. He is editor at Commercial Integrator and Corporate Tech Decisions, Tech Decisions in Print. How are you, sir? Hey, George. Thanks for having me. All right. So it has been a busy news week indeed. One of the first ones I want to talk about has been in the news quite a bit. It is... The cyber attacks from the Chinese keep happening, or so the government says to us. Uh, if you haven't been following this, there was supposed to be a forum that happened between the president and the leader of China saying, we're not going to hack each other for corporate decisions and uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, militaristically, of course we're going to do it. Um, but evidently, they're not keeping to their word. I have no word on whether we are or not, but <laughs> the Chinese especially are being accused. Um, I'm going to start with you, Mitchell. The reason I bring this story up is that China makes a vast majority of the gear that we, we sell. And I wonder about the, 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 the ramifications of the spying is that are we missing something in the products we're making? Do we have a fear that we may be carriers for this kind of hacking and invasion? Wow, that's a pretty open thing. Are we carriers? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Oh boy. Um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm not overly convinced that the Chinese are hacking uh, the Z-Wave chips themselves, so uh, I'm not too concerned uh, at the product level like that. But in terms of their continuing hacking to steal proprietary and intellectual property, I think that's a given. Um, it's interesting how the, there's so much denial from a, from a governmental perspective. And uh, as you know, with the uh, uh, Chinese culture, 
that uh, the government is certainly involved in, well, certainly things that are going on on the Internet, uh, certainly. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a fair question. I, I don't believe it's all got to do with uh, just governmental, with, um, uh, where's it going with this, with military. I think that it's absolutely got to do with their ability to manufacture. If you've watched what go has been going on or heard what's been going on with your economy, um, the fact that factories are somewhat slowing uh, and the migration into the cities and so on and so forth, then it kind of, you begin to understand where some of these companies are coming from in terms of the, uh, the espionage and trying to steal secrets and get back into some of the competitive environments that perhaps they're losing out to some of the lesser companies, uh, countries such as uh, Vietnam and so on and so forth. Anyway, I'm rambling, so... Hmm. Um, well, no, it's, 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 valid, that, it's valid points. Uh, Kyle, let me talk to you about this. This actually broaches into a, a bigger topic of protection and being an industry which has been going headlong into Ethernet and networking. Uh, Paul and Bradford Ben especially talk about this a lot. Uh, what are we doing as manufacturers and providers of this stuff to inform the end client and our own installers that they need to be safer, that we need to protect against something like that? I mean, what if you're installing it in a Fortune 100 CEO's house? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's it's not something we can sit and wait for, you know, uh, a political solution for. I mean, the idea that, uh, you know, tomorrow, you know, two people are going to shake hands and all of a sudden all the hacking is going to go away is uh, is probably not realistic. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it's something that we actually have to address, you know, and do something about. And AV is an issue with that. I think uh, some people think of that you know, have historically thought of, oh, AV network security, it's not a big deal, you know, because the idea that comes to people's heads is, oh, somebody's going to hack your projector in your conference room and change the input. What's what's the big deal? And it's 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 actually more than that. I mean, not that, that that's not something that may happen, especially now that we have things like digital signage. I, I read a report, a Gardner report actually re recently that said like 20% of companies by 2018 are going to have uh, digital vandalism. Uh, of some sort, experience some sort of digital vandalism by 2018, which I, which is a pretty big number when you think about that. But uh, but that's not really the big issue because with with this kind of stuff, where AV comes in is that if somebody can gain access to a device, the device is really just it's it's a computer of some kind, right? You know, I mean, it's it's obviously specialized and more complex than that. But there are parts of the of the device where if you can gain access to that device, you can potentially there's always the potential to find a way to load code on it, and then that code can do other things. So, mm. you know, uh, uh, not that we've obviously we've never seen that you know ourselves, but it, it's the the potential is there, and that's why was with any device that you put on the network. The potential of threat is there, and that's why you protect it. Any device is something that you want to put out there and protect. And uh, you know, as far as what we should be doing, um, I know from from a from a Harman perspective and an AMX perspective. Before that, we've been putting out you know stuff. We have Paul Zeely. I know he's been on this show a lot of times. Has you know spoken a lot about that and put out you know what we can on that. But uh, but ultimately, it's just something that's responsible. It's everybody's responsibility really to make sure that we are all aware that 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 network uh, security is an issue and it's something that's worth uh, looking at because uh, the IT companies I mean the the companies out there the IT departments need to be aware of it and they are increasingly more aware of it and they're going to be asking 
uh, us about it and asking us as integrators and as manufacturers on my end, you know, what about this? What can we do? Do you have this protection? Do you have this capability? And you need to know what those words are, and you need to know actually how to answer that and actually how to do that more than just have heard the words but actually know how to do it and to implement it. And Kyle, you bring up a good point. Duffy, I want to bring that one back to you then. We don't have a lot of integrators who really know about this, right? It's Ethernet, you connect it, it's all about right. ease of use, but what can we do on our physically installing it side to get our people to know more and to actually be thinking about this as much as will that bend radius work or will that uh, GUI actually be usable? Well, I, I think, George, first of all, I, I do want to make a comment on the article you sent out. <laughs> I love the caption under the picture which said, we should refrain from cyber attacks. Not yeah, we should yeah. stop. We, we're just supposed to refrain from doing anything we shouldn't. I, I, I thought that was the humorous piece of what we did. As far as the integrators are concerned, I mean, I, I think uh, much to what Kyle just said, in many cases, I don't think the integration companies think of being a pathway uh, for this kind of thing. You know, it's like I'm going to go hang the projector. I'm going to go have my ins and outs, and and so on and so forth. So I don't believe they always think of it that way. And I think it's going to be a, a education process that not only the manufacturers uh, like Harman and AMX and Crestron and all the rest of them have to go through. Uh, it's going to be acknowledgement, explaining to the integrators what the problems are or what the dangers are, but then how to how to take care of it. Because I don't think the um, knowledge is there to know how to handle those and how to handle that situation in many cases. So I, I, th I think it's a large um, project that's going to require the whole industry to gather around and first understand what the dangers are and then come together as a group and figure out how we're going to go after it. And it's going to take people at every level to become engaged. Hmm. Uh, actually, Tom, let me ask you this, um, jumping ahead of here. To your readers, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with your demographic and your readership uh, at the end of the show, but is there a, a concern and interest in articles about implementing Ethernet and network safety? Is it something that's just the elephant in the room they're ignoring, or is it something you get a good response out of? I don't think... I don't think um... I don't think it's very much on the radar of a typical commercial integration firm, but maybe it should be at least in so much as um, being a discussion point and adding value to, you know, the relationship between an integration firm and, and a company, an organization that's, that's put in products that they're installing on their network. I think there's value in having that conversation. The risk, I think, is in integrators positioning themselves as somebody who can help them with this risk because in order to position yourself that way you have to then be able to actually have an answer to something that is kind of a moving target I would imagine. Um, so I, I think it's a, a difficult issue for the industry right now but it's a, a great conversation point and might I add George that I think that you're the Oliver Stone of AV podcasts. <laughs> I like your, your theory about being a carrier of this uh, information from the products uh, manufactured in China over to the States. I hope uh, that a lot of manufacturers get nervous about that and, and do more manufacturing domestically. 
Uh, it's it's all those years living downtown in the uh, early 80s of uh, New York City. You just you pick up all the conspiracy theories and move into one. Uh, Mitchell, you wanted to show us something that you thought was relevant, maybe even a bit uh, uh, demonstrative of what we're talking about. Yeah, perhaps even scary and talk mm. about conspiracy theories. And I mean, it's a great conversation because when you talk about hacking, a lot of times people are thinking about software-related or stealing your private information off your computer. But I did want to kind of show... Uh, this was brought to my attention. Um, here we go. Let's tell me if that worked. Um, we see black, but it could, there we go. You got it. Yep. Okay. Mm. So, what are you looking at now? I guess is my question. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, when this conversation talks about products and being being careful of your products prepared and knowing what your products are actually capable of doing, um, this is something that that um, I don't think a lot of people have thought about. Let's see if I can get back to my screen share here, because when you look at that, um, I don't know how many of you remember this uh, particular image, uh, what you're looking at here. Uh, I wish I could show you side by side, but I didn't think ahead and actually put them side by side. But, you know, um, for those of you that uh, are, are less inspired, what you're looking at is what was known as the HAL 9000. Uh, you know, you go to your Nest thermostat and you, and you say, uh, you know, change the temperature down to 72 degrees and, and it comes back and says, I'm sorry, Mitch, I can't do that now, um, which is kind of, you know, what are these devices looking at? What what kind of information? So it's not just the hacking in terms of stealing proprietary information. It's who's watching. What kind of live, what are they learning about you when you're putting your projector, uh, you know, in the conference room? What kind of ears are listening in on that conference? And these are the kinds of things that, that uh, you need to be very wary of and very considerate of. So. Yeah, no, very, very true. Uh, it's more than just that chip. It's, it's what is pe who's looking at it and what are they using with that? Exactly whether it's, right. um, mm -hmm. whether it's Z-Wave, <laughs> it's Harman, Crestron, any of them, or you know Sonos. What are they doing with that information and why are they, they doing that? Um, well, you know, one of the reasons uh, people don't like that is the millennials, they say at least, are the cable cutters. Uh, I'm not a millennial, but I am a cable cutter. Uh, but the cable industry has stated, quote, the cable industry thinks cord cutting is a fad and will end once millennials procreate. <laughs> For those of you looking up a dictionary, that means when they have kids. Uh, <laughs> while part of this is true, uh, I picked this one especially as well because there is uh, a discussion I've been having with a gentleman named Swanee. He does tvpredictions.com. He's a really informed kind of guy. Uh, where there's all kinds of mixed messages about this. Um, there are lots of under 40 saying, absolutely, I'm willing to pay for it. It's sports. I want it live. I want to be able to not have to think about it and just find something to burn my afternoon. Uh, and then there's the recent firings, or at least uh, letting go of about 300 people at ESPN. And one of the reasons was the small but very effective cord cutters cutting into the bottom line. Uh, as we all know, it's um, a good percentage of your cable bill is paying off someone like ESPN. So they get a portion of everything, whether you look at it or not, right? Uh, I'm going to start with uh, with you, Mitchell. We'll, we'll, we'll put, uh, circle back. Um, do you think the millennials are already set in their ways and they'll continue to do this, or do you think they will come back because of the ease of use that they'll learn shortly after becoming parents? Wow. I, I think uh, anybody that's got a millennial is going to tell you that uh, the actual television set doesn't get turned on very often. You know, I've got a 17-year-old and 24-year-olds, and um, boy, it's kind of humorous to hear this this term fad. Uh, and to be honest with you, 
if you are not a sports fan, you be hard have a hard time being convinced that you need to have a cord connected. Because mm. honestly, other than ESPN, you know, if you want to watch soccer games, things like that, you kind of need the cord. But outside of sports, I'll tell you, you know, you can you can get a whole lot. As you already know, um, there's no reason to have that cord connected. Uh, they're certainly doing a lot with 4K and attempting to be competitive, and I laud their efforts, and I think that's a fabulous idea. But honestly, you know, I watched my, my son come over with a bunch of his friends. They don't put the TV on unless they're playing a video game, and that's a whole separate conversation. But when they're watching things, they've all got their laptops, their smartphones, their tablets. They're all watching and doing different things while they're all in the same room together. So it's got a whole new definition of, 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 of collaborative viewing, if you will. Uh, Duffy, I see you laughing there on the uh, the small little preview windows. Uh, does this have an adverse effect on what we're installing? Uh, are we really losing out, or is it just transitioning into another mode if we're smart enough to sort of facilitate this differing use, usage that we're seeing? Well, I think that's the point, smart enough, right? I, I don't think it impacts negatively what we're installing as an industry, but we are going to need to transition and think about that. I, I, I agree that I don't think um, uh, I don't think the cord cutting is going to stop. I mean, uh, I have grandsons. Uh, even when they do turn the TV on, as was referenced a minute ago, it's to watch Netflix uh, or something else. You know, Amazon Prime or or whatever. Uh, so I don't think it's going to stop. And I do think it's something we need to take into account as we design systems and move forward. I don't think it's going to have a negative impact. Just a change in the way we do things, which is always happening. Hmm. Yeah, it just seems to be a, a very dramatic one, and many models of uh, revenue are based on it. Uh, sure. Thankfully, many of us didn't get into that side of the customer support or uh, service side. Right, right. Um, Kyle, well, I'd, I'd, re I'd remind everybody that uh, there were predictions that landline phones were not going to go away, too. And <laughs> today, 50% of homes today do not have a landline in them. That's yeah, true. Yeah, you know, from a design it. from a design perspective, Duffy, and I think you're absolutely right. It, it changes how we design things. Right. Watching the way friends view, you know, I think the days of putting a big screen in one room uh, are somewhat limited. And the idea would be to put multiple screens with multiple accesses, so that the, you know the, the standard that viewing is going to be watching multiple things, multiple people, and I don't know how they multitask oh, sure. and pull it off, but you know, you see it in business. It's, you can see it in homes, too. Uh, let me address this to you, Kyle, um, because you, are a you work for a manufacturer, uh, now a larger collective of manufacturers, who make distribution equipment. This changes a few of your perceptions, or at least how you are uh, looking at the market, no? Well, I think, um, to answer that question, I mean, uh, it's... It's really just the way you're delivering things and what it is you're delivering. I think the philosophy of what we're talking about scales um, uh, or you know cross applies. I mean, uh, if you want to look at the SVSI acquisition that uh, that uh, happened, it's sort of a similar part of that you know eventual transition. I think. Um, I mean, if you look at, at the cable cutting cutting thing, I'm a you know they talk about they talked about uh, this idea of not just cord cutters but the cord nevers. Right, the people that never had a um, never had a, uh, a cable box to to uh, to begin with. I was ne you know I have cable at home, but uh, from a phone perspective, you brought up the phones. I'm a cord never from a phone perspective. I've never had a home loan um, phone line ever. I didn't cut the cord. I just never had one to begin with. I didn't need one. Um, 
and uh, uh, and so like uh, you know that's why you can't look at these things and say okay you know we're gonna look at the past history we're gonna look at you know and uh, say, say that's gonna be some kind of prediction of our future results because of uh, just one snapshot of the way things are now say oh you know these people are old these these older people don't have uh, or have more uh, land, have more cable than the younger people so therefore it's not going to happen uh, I mean you can't look at it that way because uh, those uh, the older people that have had kids that are older are more people are used to having uh, cable but the younger kids aren't used to it so that's why they never had it and so to assume that they're all of a sudden going to jump in and have kids just because an older generation had it doesn't really flow logically but I think you know getting back to the corporate world we're talking about is if as, as people are going to grow up this sort of it's going to be the same thing as they're used to having AV technology where they can just access anything anywhere and really as long as I'm connected to the network I can access whatever wherever uh, I think we're going to start seeing more AV technologies um, designed this way and that's where I think stuff like the SVSI technology and then whatever the next step is beyond that uh, is uh, um, we're going to see more of everything whether it's our PCs and everything else is going to be networkized whether that's you know that's distributed or um, or elsewise so that I can access if my if our CEO is doing a, a presentation I can access it from any conference room and right. if I'm doing a presentation or doing a presentation with people here and I say hey grab a couple of people and go to this meeting and they can jump on and whether it's a video conference or it's just simply seeing what's going on in that other room all of that all of those technologies are going to eventually merge in ways that we can't really predict right now even I don't think yeah, well, let me let me bring this to you Tom because in the early days a large portion of say the mom and pop shop integrators was putting in distribution systems was putting in sort of the sports bar and, and things like that uh, do you see it trending towards people looking for information on where that change is happening and how to accommodate it in their business models or are they still waiting through the ramifications I don't I think I think that a lot of integration firms are, are very focused on helping their clients to distribute video content and that's very important and I do think that you know this certainly factors into it but I don't really know if it's in all that significant of a way is it really that significant if more people cut the cord? Is it really that significant if more people don't have cable boxes in their their homes or their their places of business? I don't think it's a big deal. And the article that you sent, I thought, was incredibly short-sighted. Um, so I'm not a millennial, but I do have kids, so I'm a procreator. <laughs> and <laughs> I've got a four-year-old son, and he spends, I would say, 90% of his... Uh, video watching, you know, using an iPad. And, you know, it's much more comfortable for him to find his own content either through an app or, you know, through Netflix or through Amazon or something like that than it is for him to sit in front of a TV and, and he has to deal with this thing called a remote control and he has to ask me to fast forward stuff for him. It's appalling to him that he would have to sit through commercials. So, you know, the idea that having kids um, makes cord cutting more difficult, I think, is actually um, the opposite of the truth. I think it, it makes it a lot easier. 
Yeah, I completely well, agree with that because that's that's been my experience too. I got a I have a six year old, a five year old, and a three year old, and uh, uh, now they do watch stuff you know on the TV, but but th- we have we watch stuff on the Roku, right? And so my six year old knows how to use the Roku remote. There's like five buttons on that thing, right? You know, it's not exactly it's like that hard, you know, to to navigate around using a a, a five button remote, and because it's, it's really simple and there's not much to do on it besides play and pause and arrow around. And so because it's so easy and it's really targeted what's so the idea of having to to um, my kids do not understand we can't start the show over. You know, it's like if we ever do go to live TV, they're like, well, can you start that over? Um, no, that's live TV. That's not how that works. And they spent, you know, so the idea that having kids is all of a sudden going to make you watch live TV more doesn't really, I don't, I don't buy that logic. Yeah, well, it's very funny because I know that my 8- and 10-year-old, um, I'm going to probably get a groan and a, an acknowledgement here from everyone of Stampy Longnose and the Minecraft videos uh, that everybody must know. Uh, Three million subscribers just for his Minecraft videos. I'm sure everybody knows who they are. Uh, you know what this does, does George? Is this, this brings it back down to that same conversation? Is how does this impact? You know, how does it impact the viewers here? And and uh, honestly, I think it has a positive impact because what it means is your infrastructure has got to be designed, designed properly for the cord, for the way we've been doing it, and obviously for the network. You know, to to ensure that you've got the robust, the distance, the uh, the the bandwidth. I, th- I think it bodes actually well for our industry, so I'm just bringing it back home for you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean, well, it, it deviated a little bit, but it's, it, it is sort of thinking into the logic of yeah. are they right, and we're all saying no, they're not, and yet still people like Mr. Phil Swan uh, <laughs> say, insist that Nielsen's right and that they're going to be getting more subscribers and that the future is very bright, uh, although I call that the Swanee inverse square law because he keeps every time he mentions it, it won't happen, it does. Same with small screen viewing he did a few years ago. Um, well, George, I shouldn't have said the article was short-sighted. The the writer of the article was pointing out that the study was short-sighted. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, valid point, valid point. Well, yeah, well, you know, MSOs, I'm sorry, MSOs are not just taking the lighting down. I mean, you know, they're, they're doing such things. Let's talk about the live TV, for example. Um, I can actually restart my live TV because I'm using, what is it? I'm using Fios or Fleos, whatever they're calling it. I'm using Fios. You know, I can pause it. And, and answer the phone. I, I can go back. I can rewind it. So actually, you know, they're doing some things. Again, I, I don't know that it's going to stop this trend, but they are certainly doing what they can. And and even Comcast just announced that they're going to be offering mobile service. So, right. You know, obviously, why they're doing that is to be able to take your cord cutters, your no cord evers or nevers, whatever they were, and and your cable guys and, and cover you know the entire uh, uh, what do you call it, ecosystem. So, you know. There are responses, and so it would be interesting to watch how this unfolds. Yeah, I think they're, they're all hedging their bets. I mean, Verizon's doing it. They're all doing it. And I think the other piece of that, that goes back to what George said earlier. It's just an incumbent on us uh, as the AV industry to understand they're all hedging their bets, and it may be going somewhere, and we've got to make sure we plan and install and design for both worlds until one goes away. Hmm. Well, let's talk about some technologies uh, that we have up here in the queue that may very well convince them to go back to cable or actually continue on without it. Uh, one of the things that's gotten a lot of interest from people is high dynamic range for TVs. Sony announced this a while ago saying they'll have some of the very first out, some very specialized content that they're creating. But now, from our friends in Sound Division, there's the claim that high dynamic range will be in commonplace, commonplace, in three years. And that's quite... Uh, 
that's quite the achievement or at least uh, forward thinking that it might happen that way. Uh, let's start with you, Duffy. Do you think that the infrastructure, as we said even earlier, in the home, as you mentioned with the last article, needing 4K and having to upgrade that, do you think that it'll be commonplace in three years or are they a little overeager? No, I, I think there's a good opportunity for it to be commonplace in three years. I mean, if you go back and look at, um, I think it's the UHD Alliance, the, all the companies that have come together, uh, look at some of the names on that, on that list. Yeah, there's hardware people in there, but the, a lot of content producers. And when you're going to introduce a new technology like this and make it commonplace, you've got to have the common content to feed it all. And I think that's why this has got a good shot at making it, because you've got a coalition of people together that are not only producing the hardware, because there's capability there, but now are saying, okay, we're going to produce all the content, we're going to produce the live sports feeds, we're going to produce the movies, the whatever they are. Now, on the corporate side, will that take a little longer? I think so. I think, I think uh, content will be more popular populated on the residential side and then move over into the pro side which is what's been happening for years and some of that technology anyway. Hmm. Uh, Tom, have you seen HDR in action? Um, no, not really. I mean, hmm. perhaps at trade shows. Not really. And I think I, I'd like to say ditto to what uh, Duffy just said because I do think that there's a big opportunity on the residential side first but then with the commercial side following and I do think that, you know, this is something that's very concrete that end users and integrators can really sink their teeth into. You compare it to, like, confusion around 4K and, and before that, you know, 3D and whether or not that was going to be implemented in, in commercial environments. This is something that's basically about, you know, being able to see stuff more clearly. And I think that there's going to be huge adoption uh, on the commercial side. I think that this is a really significant trend. Mitchell, it is a significant trend, as uh, as Tom says. But do you think who will drive this? Will it be the sports fan, as always? Uh, you know, there was the two there was the two rules: sports and pornography will drive the new media's. I don't think the latter actually matters anymore because where it lives. So, do you think this will actually drive it, or will there be a more sort of generic drive to have just clearer pictures in general? Well, sports has clearly driven what we're calling HD today. Mm -hmm. um, my feeling is that this whole HDR thing is more of a factory issue than it is a content issue. Um, I don't know whether you've been reading the articles about how uh, Panasonic and Fujitsu have been turning some of their uh, flat panel display factories into lettuce farms. Uh, I'm joking, kidding you not. Google this. Uh, I could show you pictures. Um, it, it's really turned out that you know growing lettuce is not only more profitable for them, but I guess they could say they're, they're going green. I'm sorry for that. But, um, <laughs> but you know, this is, again, this is, this is, you know, how does the manufacturer determine how do we sell more TVs? And I think that's more driven from that end. And as much as the hype might be, oh, my God, it's a deeper color, it's a this or that, and it's really going to be, at some point, that's all you're going to be able to buy. And I think that's really where it's headed. That's why the predictions about the uh, uh, how many are going to be sold is because that's all you're going to be able to get at some point. You know, Kyle, uh, Mitchell brings up a good point is that there may not be that dramatic of a difference and that only a few manufacturers are actually in control of it at the moment. Uh, is this, you think, just market-driven? Do you think this I, is a way to differentiate or not? I don't know. I... I, uh, I 
uh, I'm going to say that I think that from a basic conceptual standpoint, if the technology can get there, that I, you know, I can't speak to whether or not all the display manufacturers do or don't uh, have the capabilities of getting to this. Although it seems like their uh, more manufacturers are trying some version of this, I think that uh, HDR is in some ways easier to understand from a customer's perspective than 4K, which may sound backwards, but uh, I, I kind of keep going back to the uh, the plasma versus LCD debate, right? When people said, okay, do I need to get a plasma or an LCD? While it was a little confusing, at the at the end point, you you know, all it take was a basic Best Buy salesman, any Best Buy salesman worth his salt back in the heyday of plasma versus LCD could say, well, plasma... You know, it's got a better picture. You've got darker blacks. They're better. It's a better picture. You, if you, but it's not very bright. So if you're going to stick it into a, you know, theater or a home theater or something, you want plasma because it's going to look better. But if you got, you know, sitting out somewhere where you're going to have windows, you probably want LCD. Now whether that's 100% true, that's neither here nor there. But that was the narrative, right? That was the story you heard, and uh, but people understood why. Plasma was visually better, even though it never took off. I think reasons it took off had nothing to do with it being visually better. And so I think if you have, I think people can understand. If they don't understand the technology behind it, they can understand. Okay, HDR means it's going to be a better looking picture. It's going to actually be prettier. And uh, you know, because I think that you kind of there's a there's a perception whether it's real or not that there's a diminishing value of return on resolution increases, which I don't think is necessarily fair on TVs. I think a lot of the perception of that diminishing returns is driven by things like smartphones. Like I got a I got a Note 4 phone and it's got a 2K screen on this. It's I got a better resolution on my phone than I do on my TV right now, which is kind of ridiculous if you think about it that way. Um, but like you know, and there was actually some people that complained that the new Note, the Note 5 or whatever, didn't have a 4K screen. And I'm like, a 4K screen on a phone, no one needs that. But I think some of that carries over. And I know with my wife, I've mentioned 4K, and she says, "What do you need 4K for? You don't need any more resolution than 1080p. That's fine, right?" And they don't understand that the more resolution, you know, like. But if you can say, okay, I got a better picture. Well, wait a minute. What's what's the famous quote from? Uh, was it from Microsoft? From uh, Bill Gates? You know, uh, two megabyte of RAM or whatever it was should be enough for anybody way back in the day. <laughs> right. It's like it's not necessarily accurate, but that's the perception, right? You know? All right. Well, let's talk about you some know, stuff about the better picture. Um, you mentioned better picture. Uh, there are some new products coming out that ha offer some really cool stuff beyond HDR. Uh, this is from our friends at Digital Trends, the company Magic Leap. You may have heard of them. They have a product called the Bird, which allows you to pinch and turn any surface into a um, touchscreen. It's a little thing you wear on your finger. Uh, they claim they have the Magic Leap, offers a peek at this mysterious AR tech. That's the augmented reality, I believe we're calling it these days. And they claim, if you can watch the video, that this was shot. And those of us listening on the audio, we're seeing a video image of this product without using glasses, with just a small wearable able to give us this sort of very depth perception relevant image and it actually will uh, utilize this, the environment it's being broadcast into for your eyes. Uh, a very interesting thing but they're being very mysteriously um, closed shopped about it. This is all they teased us with. Uh, let's start through the, the, the world here. Duffy, do you think that this is something that would actually get us 
a new implementation and a new installation base, or is this just fantasy at the moment? I, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm a little biased. I, I, I think it is fantasy at the moment. Will we get there? Sure, we will. I, the other thing that I, I tie this back to is a little bit of our conversation a few minutes ago when we were talking about cutting the cable and, and individual people watching screens. Um, a lot of this virtual reality is, is that. It's tied to the individual. Uh, tied to what you want, what you need, um, what you need to see. Um, and so in the individual meeting space or pro-AV space, I, I just don't see it being there yet. Now in the classroom, sure, absolutely, uh, scientific and that. But I think it's got a ways to go before we ever get there. Hmm. Uh, Mitchell, let's, uh, let, let's bring you in on this. Uh, and let's talk also about, I'm going to show up on the screen, the haptic uh, system that also sort of ties into this. Uh, there was a haptic system that lets you feel a projected image as if it's there. Uh, combine this with the Magic Leap, combine this with, say, their Bird product, which is that little finger-mounted uh, controller that lets you turn things into a touchscreen. Do we have a new dimension here? Do we have a new paradigm, or is it, you know, just more silliness? Well, it's apparent silliness when you look at the immediate impl uh, implementations of it. And I think you really need to look beyond that and realize that this is not just a trend. This is where it's all going between VR, AR, I don't know, is haptic HR, I don't know, uh, haptic reality. Uh, you know, it, it starts all with gaming because that's obviously the big platform where it's all coming from. But this is very, very, very significant. Yeah, this, this video here was, was scary to me um, in terms of where it's, where it's all headed. Um, it's not just on the commercial front. It's not just on the residential front. It's in your car. Uh, it's in your school. It's everywhere. This is this is real stuff. And uh, as I said, the technology is being tested in ways that we may see as not relevant, but we have to look past the demos they're doing and look at the real implications. Hmm. Uh, Tom, as we're still showing some of the video, uh, I see teleconferencing here. I yeah. see product demos. Uh, are we seeing the end of the trade show? <laughs> or are we seeing the end of sort of the, ha the have to fly over to see someone? Or is it, um, is it still that you have to be there and meet and greet and share a drink? I mean, I think, I think that's not going to go away, right? I mean, as much as we have the ability to, to connect in other ways, nowadays we still want to shake hands with people. We still want to have a drink with people. But that being said... Yeah, it's huge, right? I mean, it's, it's another element to share information. It's another depth to the information, another layer of depth to the information that you can share. It seems hugely significant. And I think, you know, just, uh, you know, Duffy made the point earlier on a much different scale. Remember when people thought it was outlandish to, to not have a, a landline? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, if you were able to, to think beyond that and see where, um, where that technology has taken us or where the alternate technology has taken us, it kind of illustrates how once you get a seed of a new technology, it's almost unfathomable like where it's going to end up. And I think that you know something like this is, is just really uh, the start of something that will be hard for us to explain now, but hard for us to imagine it didn't exist a few years from now. Kyle, you mentioned that you have kids and that uh, you know they, they don't want to have to do anything with the remote past the Roku. Um, we have kids who think that everything's a slide touchscreen. 
do you do you see the potential here that uh, there's a whole new brand of children's uh, television to come out from something like this, eh? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think the um, I think the uh, the the difficulty it's with anything like this. It's always the chicken the egg chicken and egg thing. It's just like the HDR thing. It's the chicken and egg. Who's going to do the thing? Is it the t content first, or is the technology first, or the whatever? You know, and it's uh, the thing that uh, um, where I see actually a lot of the most near-term potential is, is, I mean, I think we're going to see these kind of AR-type technologies really be the thing that people want um, long-term, but I think where a lot of the potential comes from is some of the things like the, like the you know, Google Cardboard-type stuff where you have uh, uh, like these 3D videos and ways to kind of experience a video in more than, more than one dimension and more, or more, from more than one angle. I think those are fun because then you get to experience it, and I think if you can if we can start feeding the market with that, that's where the the AR kind of comes in and says, okay, but now how would you like to actually interact with that and actually be part of the environment? Because I think the true VR type thing that we, you know, in the classic sci-fi novel idea where people are going to be wearing masks and hands and manipulating stuff in space or, you know, or sticking a thing in your head like, uh, like in Matrix or something, I think that isn't really what people want. I think if you talk, we're talking about the the ways to go in and communicate across distance, you know, I think uh, ultimately people want to interact. There's 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 two different activities. There's interaction and then there's viewing. With viewing, I want to sit and be immersed, as immersive as it can be. That's why people still go to theaters, even though we've people have been saying for a long time theaters are going to die, theaters are going to die, theaters are going to die. The, the, the niche where theaters have found their niche to still survive is when they can provide a good experience, right? You know, an immersive type experience, and that's where cinema in the traditional theater still survives. And I think with you know viewing, I think that's where you want an immersive experience, but like the interacting, it's like there's this need for how can we make it where the technology disappears as much as possible. So I think you're going to see two different kinds of veins there. Let, let me riff on something you just said about the, dis the, the technology disappearing. Uh, a good example of that is something you just brought up, which is the Google Cardboard. Now, if you don't know what this is, this is actually a fold-out with two lenses supplied uh, AR kit. You make it. You make it out of cardboard, and you can get AR with some dimensionality. Uh, from our friends at News Factor, it shows that with the New York Times, we're going to be sending one million Google cardboard headsets. They say to subscribers um, that they're going to be able to watch some content that they produce uh, for that for news and be sort of augmented reality. Uh, Tom, we've gone from the very high tech and multi-dimensional and the haptic across long distances and projections to the very simple. Uh, I ask you this, does it mean that AR actually has a future uh, and is really of interest because you can go so cheaply to it? Uh, or, or does this show something else? I, I, think, I think it shows that we'll find out if it has a future because we're going to have, I forget how many, but over a million people to consider whether or not it's a, you know, a technology that, that matters to them. And... You know, although crude, although that's probably part of the marketing plan, it's a pretty clever idea, and I'm very curious to hear what people say in social media and what they write about this once they experience it. Duffy, very simple, very cheap, very inexpensive to do. 
Uh, do you think this generates interest in someone getting a real system or uh, you know, even a gamer saying, I want you to install this for me? Or like Tom said, the, the gimmick, does, it will only time will tell. I think time, I, I agree with Tom. I think time will tell. I think this is a great way um, to get the, the technology out there for people to try it for, uh, you know, what's the content going to be on the apps that go on the phones that, uh, that go in the Google Cardboard? Um, how are they going to work? Most of them that I, that I found so far are gaming apps, which goes to the point before that a lot of this is being driven through the gaming industry. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it moves forward uh, and what the acceptance rate is and what kinds of things we can do with it before it would really drive in to be a commonplace thing that we, we start installing in the uh, Pro-AV pro side. Mm. Uh, well, let me take on to another story that sort of tags on to this because all of these technologies we just looked at, even Google Cardboard, uh, are meant to be very easily implemented. right? And an article that Mr. Kyle Davis wrote... Uh, examines this idea about the real power of intelligent automation is not even having to think about it. Uh, I think this was generated from a discussion among some of my, uh, my uh, associates at Aviation, uh, and it was from the, it was the CDA broadcast. Am I correct, Kyle? It was from the CI Summit, actually. Uh, CI Summit. My apologies. My apologies. Uh, so the question is, technology should be so easy that we don't have to think about it. Mitchell, I'm going to start with you. Technology should be so simple that we don't think about it. Now, you gave the example of HAL and Nest, premised on the fact that it doesn't want you to have to interact with it once you set it up. You've already expressed the dangers, but is there really an advantage to that kind of intelligence? Well, obviously, that's where, that's the promise, I should say. You know, the, the, the promise of the smart home, the promise of the smart car, the promise of the self-driving car. These are all the promises that uh, ultimately... It, you know, your will, your wish is my command. Um, we've got a bit of a ways to go, but we're seeing it in just being able to unlock your door by just taking your phone out of your pocket. Uh, you're seeing it with, uh, with some of these artificial intelligence built into things like Nest, some lighting systems, some security systems. Uh, the Ring, I think, is, is coming out now. Um, so ultimately, that, that's the promise. You know, getting to that point, the implementation is huge challenges because you have so many different, and I'll use the term loosely, standards. Um, you know, which one are you going to go with? What is the interoperability? What is the deployment uh, the strategy? We've got a long, long, long way to go before that's going to happen, uh, given all the battlefields. And therefore, all the integrators, whether you're commercial, whether you're home, whether you're car, uh, you know, they're the ones who are going to deliver on the promise. But I think this is definitely what people want. They don't want to have to think about technology. Duffy, does this pose a problem for an integrator, though? Uh, we no, put it in once, it starts thinking for itself, and why are we needed? No, I, I don't think it... You know, I think there's two pieces to this. Uh, the first part is you... We're designing systems. We're putting in systems for the ultimate end user, the person that sits in that conference room, that's, that has to be in a meeting, that is in that hospital bed, that is in that church, right? And And I think those people, just like... If I go to a movie, I don't want to think about the technology. I just want to sit there and enjoy the movie. It's about the experience, you know. Um, I'll comment to uh, Infocom and their push on the whole concept of the exceptional experience. So I, I think, yes, it is about the experience and it's about the technology disappearing. Now, what does that do to us as an industry? It gives us more work to do, I think, mm -hmm. because we're now the people that have to go in 
and design that technology, install that technology, make it invisible, make it function 99.99% of the time so that it is invisible because that's what's being driven by the people that, that want to utilize it. So I, I don't think it hurts us. It sure does put raise the bar on things that we have to do, design, and how we have to function and the quality of what we have to do to have it continue to function. Interesting, interesting. All right, well, at the end of every show, we have a monthly segment called the, the Publisher's Perspective. This is where we bring in some of the trade magazines, and they talk to us about what their demographic, their readership, is actually very interested in and what's getting the response and why they're doing that. Uh, to join us this week, of course, is Tom LeBlanc from the EH Pub Imprint for Commercial Integrator and Corporate Tech Decisions, or it's just Tech Decisions with several imprints. Yeah. Uh, Tom, take us along what's going on with your stuff this week. So one of the things we've been focusing on lately is um, the commoditization of the industry. And uh, actually, um, I, I was fortunate enough to get to, to be part of a presentation at an NSCA event yesterday in which that was also the topic of the discussion. Basically, how do integration firms combat the commoditization of the industry? And that can mean a few different things, right? Like, it can mean... Um, that could be talking about how there aren't any margins um, on products anymore, so the you know the products are being commoditized. It can be about how uh, competitors are opting for cookie cutter solutions and and you know kind of devaluing systems and making it more difficult or changing the perception of um, of customers in terms of what they think they need. You know they're thinking about things like Skype and and, uh, and kind of learning bits and pieces about uh, Surface Hub and having a, a different perception of what they think they need and making it a lot, a lot more difficult for integrators to go into a customer's office and talk to them out about a custom solution when custom is exactly the thing that they don't think they need. So, you know, we're kind of tackling that trend from a lot of different angles. And, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting is I've gotten some negative feedback for being too negative when it comes to how, you know, how drastic this commoditization trend can be for the industry. And I think that when people criticize me, they have a valid point because there, there is, um, there's a huge opportunity for integrators to recognize what it is that appeals to their customers about some of these more uh, commodity mainstream type solutions and get a window into what's important to them and then create create a more um, a more knowledge-based approach to explaining why a more custom solution will better address that the needs that they actually do have. I think integrators have huge opportunities related to commoditization, commoditized products, more mainstream brands coming into the market there's a huge opportunity to leverage awareness of categories like collaboration and automation and, and all that stuff. So we've been writing a lot about stuff like that. Um, and that's, that's, that's a topic that I think is really an interesting talking point uh, right now. And just one thing that I want to add about our commercial integrator coverage, you know, we write a lot of stuff that I'm very proud of, uh, proud of. Um, all of our editors write, but the, the types of articles that I'm most proud of coming out of Commercial Integrator are our profiles of integration firms. I think that we've done a good job of uncovering some integration firms that are very forward-thinking and 
um, have very sharp, innovative approaches to running their businesses and improving their processes. If people read only those articles in Commercial Integrator, I'd be really happy about the effect that that would have on the industry. Hmm. Well, very interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, again, uh, where can they find more about that? This is uh, commercialintegrator.com and... Yeah, tech decision sites, corporate tech decisions, K-12 tech decisions, higher ed tech decisions, worship tech decisions. Just, just to name a few. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, a little housekeeping here for, before we say our goodbyes. Um, uh, some important news for you guys to know. Uh, on November 2nd, November 2nd, uh, Aviation will be broadcasting live, yes, live from the Daily Doe and the Digital Signage Week in New York City. This is a collection of digital signage people uh, who get together and talk about the future of digital signage, show some new technologies, etc. Uh, look for that November 2nd. It'll be probably from about, uh, I think it's 1 o'clock to about 4 o'clock. Uh, you can find that on our blog page and on our YouTube page. Just subscribe and remind to it. You'll have it there. Also, Red Band is going to be live with the Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash. This is, uh, if you know Jay and Silent Bob, these gentlemen own a comic book store, an ephemera store. Uh, they'll be joined by the guys Ming Chen and Michael Zapak. I think I've said that right. Uh, this is going to be Chris Netto, uh, uh, Puma, and a few others broadcasting live, talking about the uh, the technologies between our uh, the, the comic book technologies and the reality of them. Uh, and it's sort of going to be a free-form conversation. should be very interesting, and we're hoping for some other very special guests to show up along the way as well. Uh, we also have... Uh, another one set up for October 29th. I cannot release the information yet because October 29th, but there will be a live broadcast from a company celebrating AV Month, and we'll go over some stuff about that. So keep an eye on the site. That's aviation.tv for that. And finally, well, there was one more, and I completely forgot it. Oh, finally, uh, we have a new show uh, premiering next week. Uh, David Danto's Connected, about mesh networking, the Internet of Things, and the technologies and topologies around it. It's a very interesting show. Uh, you should check it Tuesday. It drops. Uh, and I hope that uh, you find some real value out of it. Uh, it's been a really good conversation today. I want to thank our guests. First off, Tom LeBlanc from EH Pubs, Commercial Integrator and Tech Decisions, sir. We've already said where they can find more about the magazines, but where can they find out more about you and uh, what's going on? Well, Twitter, I guess, uh, LeBlanc Tom and Com Integrator. Thanks for having me, George. All right. Good to see you again. Also joining us from Harmon Pro, Mr. Kyle Davis, or in print, S. Kyle Davis. Thank you again, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. And where can they find more about you and your company? Uh, the company, uh, HarmonPro.com, AMX.com, or JBLPro.com, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as well as you can find me on Twitter at S. Kyle Davis Books or on LinkedIn at IN slash S. Kyle Davis. There you go. Also joining us, good to see you again, is Duffy Wilbert. Sir, glad to have you on. Uh, anything you. you want to tell people about your uh, your latest incarnation and things you're doing? Oh, I'm just doing a little bit of everything as I look for uh, what's next. You can find me uh, on LinkedIn uh, and check out my profile there, or certainly uh, I'm on Twitter as well, Hound Member Master. Yes, and some good stuff coming from that. And finally, but not least, of course, our good friend Mitchell Klein from Z-Wave. Mm. Thank you for joining us again, sir. Always a pleasure, and uh, talk about mesh networking and interoperability. Hey, that's us. Mm -hmm. You can find us at z-wavealliance.org. That's org, not what you were thinking. Uh, and I am also on Twitter, at Mitchell underscore Klein. That's K-L-E-I-N. And, hey, look forward to uh, coming back. 
It's been fun. Good. Um, thank you all for being on, and I want to appreciate. I appreciate. Let me start that again. Thank you all for being on, and I want to thank everyone who's been watching today. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, do do us a favor, though. Uh, we have a number of underwriters who help keep this station going so that we don't have to go hat in hand to you. There they are on the screen. Please send them a note and say thanks very much for doing that. We really like it because we'd love them to hear that. For my guests and for the folks at Aviation, I want to thank you and have a good day. We look forward to speaking with all of you again very soon. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.